0: My name is Anda Gunska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-vendor and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling.
1: Today on the Pros and Content podcast, we are bringing you the second in a series of online roundtables in which Ondaganska, the CEO and co-founder of Notch, and Rachel Tipograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac, host a panel of innovative, resilient marketing leaders. These individuals come from a wide range of backgrounds and industries, and represent brands that are quickly adapting to help their customers endure and persevere through the COVID-19 crisis. This week's roundtable examines how marketers are responding to and planning around this difficult time. This roundtable is recorded on March 26, 2020. We hope you Enjoy.
2: So, Anda, it's kind of crazy What something started as a text message last week. We've now touched like 2,000 marketers with this webinar. And yep. you know, as every day progresses, things are changing within the global economy, but also in marketing. So, I know today we really wanted to dive in and try to understand how people's marketing plans are shifting in real time. I'm curious from your perspective, working across your clients right now, like what shifts have you seen this week? Uh, So I've been talking to almost all of our customers
0: over text, email, phone calls, video calls, and the consensus across the board is that you have to very quickly change your creative. Um, Some, um, from what I understand, have decided to completely halt uh, any media spend, but others who have managed to be nimble and adjust quickly from a creative standpoint have actually managed to put out content that actually makes sense, that doesn't sound tone deaf. And what I've noticed is the difference between those who've managed to do that versus those who haven't is actually this idea of having an internal resource, so an internal content studio. And I know that this was a big uh, debate. It is a big debate in the industry around external agency, internal agency, I'm not saying that there's right or wrong answer, but I think it's enabled uh, brands like Bank of America, for example, to very quickly adjust their creative message and make sure that if they're going to put paid media dollars, they're putting it behind the right message that's, um, that's going to resonate at a time like this. What about you, Rachel?
2: I mean, your analogy of in-house agency, I would say is analogous for our business, for people who had an internal e-commerce marketing team versus those who did not. But I'd right. say by and large... Uh, The trend of last week continues for us this week, which is we're seeing insane growth right now within grocery brands and spirits brands. We're seeing anywhere between 200 to 400% week over week growth. And we're watching budgets shift from places like events, TV sponsorship dollars to e-commerce marketing. But I think one of the most interesting things that I learned this week was what's happening in China now that things are starting to normalize. So one of my VCs who makes a lot of investments in the US and China sent me this chart and I thought I'd just read some of it. So e-commerce was one of the few winners in China's new homebound economy. Overall, they've seen that city congestion is down 25% to 75%. Visits to online travel sites are down 59%. Ride sharing is down 60%. Hospitality and restaurants are down upwards of 90%, but people are cooking at home. So grocery delivery is up 60%. Recipe app usage is up 44%. Food delivery though is down 50% because people have concerns around food contamination. And then in terms of what's happening online, internet usage in China is up 72 minutes per person. E-commerce is up 10% overall. Logistics and fulfillment is being restricted, uh, is being impacted right now because of travel restrictions, but it's quickly coming back now that people can come back to work and that around half of the overall losses within the first three weeks of people returning to work are coming back. So I'm sharing all of this because I feel like we're all looking for a dose of optimism and Nanda, this is something that you and I have been talking about, that we feel once things will normalize, there's going to be such insane growth across all of the categories that we all work across.
0: Yeah, and to that point, um, I was thinking, you know, with the, my economist hat on that, um, oftentimes when, well, every time that we've had a true recession in the past, it's been some type of supply shock. And I think this time around, the fact that it happened so quickly and, it, you know, we, we fell on all fronts so quickly, I think it's due to the fact that this was a demand shock, first and foremost. And my hope is that, um, you know, once we feel secure to go back to our life before, some things will change. Um, but overall, I think demand is going to uh, go back up because there's so much pent up demand already. Like, I'm I'm dying to kind of go on a trip. I can't wait to to jump on an airplane at some point soon, as soon as I can. Um, yep. So I think I think we're going to see a lot of exuberance coming back into uh, a normal market. But that being said. You know, I think when, when I look at the, the forms of marketing that have really made an impact in the last couple of weeks, um, e-commerce 100%, I think, again, you know, going back into our world content and making sure that companies don't seem transactional in times like these, but that they're also thinking about how to add value, how to, how to sound empathetic, um, equally important. So on that note, I thought we would start and yeah. bring folks who are probably smarter than us
2: into the conversation. I totally agree. So let's just lay down the rules of the road so everyone knows what's about to happen. We have around 20 incredible marketing leaders. We're gonna pick their brains on how they're navigating COVID-19. Everyone's gonna get five minutes. You might see me politely interrupt folks, so we keep time. And if you're listening, there's a Q&A function. Ask questions. Every, uh, at every 30-minute marker, we're going to take questions from the group. And thank you all for coming. So, Anda, why don't you kick it off?
0: Okay, so we're going to start with the uh, famous, infamous, and incredible Rob Norman. Um, hi, Rob. Welcome. Can you hear us? Hello,
3: Anda. I can.
0: So, um, Rob is, uh, is one of those incredible thought leaders in our industry who everyone, from what I've been able to tell has a lot of respect for. Um, Everyone looks at you to see where the world is going. And I think you've already created a bunch of content about what's going on in the world of marketing due to COVID-19. Um, we've been lucky to have Rob on our board at Notch, and he's brought tremendous value and perspective to us as a company. And I wanted to have Rob on today to give us a sense of what he sees across the many different industries that um, he's in touch with because of the work that you continue to do in partnership with M. So, Rob, um, I wanted to just turn it over to you. You know, I've sent you a few questions, but I think we would all get a lot of value from just your overall observations around What's happening in the realm of agencies? What's happening in the realm of the customers across different industries?
3: Well, thank you. Without pouring a bucket of cold water on the opening, which was remarkably optimistic and and good for that, but there are three million people and their families in the United States as of today. That won't be especially exuberant uh, anytime soon and won't be taking trips or, or, or doing anything else. When we had an increase in their record, previous record for new filings for unemployment, was 650,000 and went to over 3 million today. So there's a lot of work to do. Everyone yep. has their own personal landmarks about what being shut down means. Um, Today is the opening day of the baseball season, or it should have been the opening day of the day- baseball season. And for some of the people that know me, they'll know how much personally I feel the lack of one of our great rituals every year. And the other thing I would say on a personal note is that having heard of all the lists that you and Rachel have got on, um, as of Monday, I qualify for the new 60 over 60 list. Uh, oh, uh, which I'm hoping happy to, birthday. Uh, thank you. Which I'm happy to, to get on uh, next time. We'll make that happen for you, Rob. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I mean, there's, it's, it's going to be lonely, but I, I'm going to be there. So, so actually to actually sort of cover some of your questions um, and you posed to me, you talked about sort of reallocation of dollars. So, let's think about it first from a kind of broad media macros. What we're seeing, and I've, thanks to my colleagues at Group M for this, and I've tried to summarise this not precisely, but to give you a flavour, that total uh, big screen video viewing is up about twenty percent since the. Uh, Lockdown began to sort of take effect. Within that, total sports viewing, unsurprisingly, is down fifty percent, and we'll be heading to even lower numbers than that sooner rather than later. And total news viewing is up one hundred percent. It's hard to imagine any circumstance that we could have predicted that would have put news up by hundred percent and sport down by half. So a lot of the reallocation. That's been going on has been people effectively moving things out of sports properties because there are none into other available inventory, but not wanting, especially, to be in news coverage because. There is rightly or wrongly a degree of toxicity about the relationship between advertisers and bad news. And it's a challenging time for all news outlets who are seeing tremendous audience delivery and creating amazing value for their audiences, but are not able to monetize that value um, effectively. So clearly, uh, with major events like March Madness and Opening Day coming up, tons of brands. Have committed. At. They are moving quite a lot of that money mostly elsewhere in television into the networks they worked before. And things like OTT video is showing even more gra- rapid growth than we would have seen before. Now what we don't know yet is what's going to happen to money that wasn't committed before all of this started and when people start able to be much more discretionary um, with that money. Because when CFOs become part of the media planning and allocation team, odd things happen to uh, media and marketing budgets. And whilst we all know, because history tells us that those who spend through recessions and maintain presence with consumers and confidence of consumers tend to be the winners coming out, we haven't come across a situation in most of our lifetimes or all of the lifetimes on the people on this call where we've had a supply crunch and a demand crunch, leading to an economic and a public health crisis all at once. We've never experienced that and we've never experienced it so distributed across the world. So drawing in conclusions for what's going to happen next, I think is very hard. So right now, you'd be better off being a capital light business than being a capital-heavy business. You'd be better off right now having distribution of virtual goods and other goods through e-commerce channels than you would be through retail channels you'll be pretty well off if you're still distributed through supermarket channels pharmacies and liquor stores assuming that your supply chain is still in some state and we are seeing advertisers leaning into the channels where they're most available and the regions where they remain most available and Many of them in their marketing communications, whether it's advertising, which takes slightly longer to pivot because you have to put new things in the can to get out to market, but definitely in the content they're creating, are all trying to answer one question, and the question is, how can we help, and what are we doing to help all of our stakeholders and our customer groups? And you'll see more and more and more content pivoting to a helpful thing. Can we get things to you quicker? Can we delay a payment? Can we give you more reassurance? And that seems to me what the dominant theme is. You asked me lastly in my three questions, and I think I'm getting close to time, about what was gonna happen to the industry post COVID-19. The industry, uh, as Rashad Tabakawala said uh, many years ago, not that many years ago, advertising people are like cockroaches. you can tread on us, we appear to be dead, yet remarkably we resurrect ourselves and appear in the next season just as we <laughs> did in the season before. Um, and always there are adjustments and kick-off preparation. So people who are, are smart on the client side, obviously, but on the agency side too, will be using a forced situation, like the one that we're in to become more efficient and more effective, to be more streamlined, to see what behaviours they've had to adopt at this time are behaviours that become core and positive values to them in the months and years going forward. I don't think it's going to change enormously some of those things about in-housing or outhousing. I don't think it's going to be a structural shift away from advertising towards um, other forms of marketing. I think events will slowly make their come back. Uh, but I think the industry as it always does is once a decade is shocked into new levels of efficiency and new levels of technology adoption to achieve it.
0: Thank you, Rob. That was brilliant. Yep. Um, I have, can I ask, Rachel, can I ask a quick follow-up question? Sure. We're cutting
2: into time. Thank you.
0: <laughs> okay. Just one quick one. Um, in terms of channels, Rob, um, do you think there's any particular channels that will, uh, kind of thrive from this um, and will continue thriving after and other channels that might not as a result of it
3: well it's a new layer of catastrophe for local print in particular for the newspaper industry Uh, again you're seeing great audiences and poor funding so it could be a death rattle for more of them even more quickly than we've seen before i think that Uh, It's been a tremendous opportunity for people to resample the offering of both television networks and the OTT market. And clearly, we've seen massive usage on all of the digital platforms, as we would expect. Um, And so, but I don't see uh, a big macro effect. I mean, there's other outliers. Our data tells us that video game playing has gone up by 47%. But a lot of the numbers that we're seeing in terms of increased usage are simply about increased availability of the audience because the audience is just much more available than it was before. So there's a lot of kind of outlying data that I wouldn't project from right now.
2: Thank you so much, Rob. Pleasure. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, And it's such a great segue into Marla, who is the CEO of the four A's, former CEO of MEC Global. So a great person to continue the conversation from an agency perspective. Hi, Marla. Hi, how are you? Doing great. So I'm curious, because I actually haven't spoken to you about this yet. How are agencies responding to COVID-19 right now?
4: So this is the moment I would say agencies really thrive in, and that's helping clients, helping brands figure out business problems, figure out their most urgent challenges. And this is a challenge that no one has ever seen before. And whether you're a media agency, PR, creative, Every agency is there to partner with those brands, to work with them, to figure out what is the new way to market in this environment. What do they need to do to react, to think differently about it? No one knows how long this is going on for. People are looking to Asia to try and track the trajectory. trying to leverage that information and understand the impact that this is having. And you talked earlier about certain categories that are thriving. There are many that are not. And there are many businesses that are really challenged right now. And so agencies are stepping in to help any way they can, whether that's changing out the messaging, which is critical right now. And I have to say, I think creativity might start to really flourish amidst this chaos because there are a lot of constraints in place. You can't have any live action shoots going on. People are working remotely. And so working in creative teams has really shifted. But I also think people are experiencing uh, sort of an, a boost and an energizing way of connecting and bringing forth messaging and recognizing that this is all about people. Whether you're talking about your employees or the people that you're serving, you have to remember that this is about humans and get back to the core message of what you do, what is your purpose, and how can you really deliver at this time when people need you. But you also have to remember that most people are home right now. They're restricting their time outside. So how is your brand's use shifted in that environment?
2: Um, So I'm just, I'm putting my brand marketer hat on. You know, when I ran Global Digital at Gap, this time of year, we would start briefing our creative agency for holiday. Are you seeing that people are not doing quarterly planning in that cycle right now? Is there a pause on all activity to just focus on COVID?
4: there's definitely a pause. Flexibility is key right now. Obviously, Olympics have been delayed. No one knows when the sports marketplace is going to resume. Media agencies are trying to figure out what is even happening with the upfront this year. How are we going to react to that? So to think that far ahead is really challenging when the urgent is the moment of the day. And that is about how do you respond to COVID-19 and what customers' need and consumers' need right now.
2: Mm-hmm. So the four A's, you represent agencies that are five people to 500,000 people?
4: Maybe not that big, but pretty yeah. large.
2: Yeah, but, um, you know, thinking about small, medium businesses, are you watching this impact smaller agencies in a different way than the larger agencies?
4: Definitely. So about half our membership are large agencies, part of holding companies, half are small independent agencies or mid sized agencies. So what's happening in Washington right now is really critical for our government relations team to help them understand more about the CARES Act and the stimulus package for businesses that are under 500 people, what they can do to access small business loans, Some of these companies, listen, these are business owners and they take it very seriously. So they're being incredibly proactive to ensure they have cash flow, that they're protecting their employees. So they're doing what they can, but it's definitely impacting them more given that they don't have the kind of cash reserves that some of the larger companies have.
2: Mm -hmm. When all of this is over um, and things start to normalize what type of brand agency dynamics do you think will have changed forever and what will go right back to the way it used to be?
4: Well, I hope that agencies and brands can remember that there is a partnership there and the way they work together and that this is what agencies do every single day. They care about working for the people and being part of that team and making that shift. So I I hope that that gets remembered. There's been a bit of a chasm the past few years with that dynamic, depending upon who the brands were or the agencies. And I hope that people can refocus on what is important and that you need partners, you need external provocation, you need that creativity, whether it's from media or creative or PR, you need it in all forms. And I really hope that they remember that The agencies were there to support them during this crisis. I also hope that there is an understanding that agencies are businesses too, and while businesses are having some challenges with cash flow and dealing with some tough challenges when it comes to their employees, so are agencies, and that they are also businesses, so don't push egregious
2: terms on them. I hope that that really shifts. The same applies to technology vendors. Thank you, Marla. (laughs) Um, Thank you. That was awesome. Onda, who's next? Uh, You're on mute, Onda.
0: Can you hear me now? (laughs) Yeah. That's a a classic Zoom thing. Um, So I was saying I actually wanted to take uh, just a couple of really quick questions for Rob and Marla, because I see that there's a lot coming in here, if you don't mind. Um, So the elephant in the room seems like is, is kind of a big question around, are we seeing uh, media dollars being pulled, being held back? Um, are we seeing that across the board? And uh, if so, you know, is it something that um, we, we see, you know, is getting delayed or is it just cut across the board? I'm curious if Rob or Marla have a perspective on that. Uh, Rob, do you want to answer that? You want me to answer? Rob, you're muted, just so you know. Because that's, that's what I did, so. He's going to unmute.
3: So uh, I think it's too early to say. I think that there are, all you know is that if there's, you take money out of the market, you've got a dis- chance to breathe and decide what to do with it. If you pile on regardless, then you haven't got that chance. I think that many advertisers um, with uncommitted dollars are going to deploy them more in shorter time frames and in the UK, Channel Four, for example, which is one of the big TV stations there, has always charged penalties if you book late and close to deadlines. So everyone's waiving all mm-hmm. of those penalties. So it may be that people do strategic long-term things with those dollars, but they approve yeah. the doing of it in much shorter horizons. And it remains to be seen how that unfolds. If you're Marriott, Marriott or Carnival or Booking.com or anything, you're not going to be spending any money for a little while. And quite a lot of those People were big sponsors of March Madness and so forth. And that one's gone for now, for sure.
4: Yeah, I would just say flexibility is key right now. Agencies are really looking uh, to help marketers understand what they can do. And many television dollars are committed, but digital platforms, there's a lot more flexibility there.
0: Got it. Thank you. Um, Okay, well, we're going to jump into the realm of technology now. Uh, Jess? from dropbox welcome how you doing
5: thanks hi we're, we were making fun of your peloton before um, <laughs> i know it seems like a flex but it's really not it's just the one it's the one room that holds all the things it's, it's <laughs> a wonderful <laughs>
0: thing to have at the moment so i'm happy you have it um so jess you run brand for dropbox um and you know we we've had many different conversations over the last few months about upper funnel mid funnel lower funnel etc How have you seen the creative messaging and the initiatives inside of Dropbox shift? Are you guys still thinking about acquisition or are you trying to just put helpful messages out there into the world?
5: Yeah, I mean, um, as great marketers, we're thinking about all all the time, Um, but I will say, and this is in conversation with a lot of my colleagues also in brand, we are having a very serious chat with ourselves um, and me being the eternal optimist that I am, I am very encouraged by the amount of uh, humanity, I think, that is getting interjected into our marketing conversations. Um, for Dropbox, I will say, and this, this isn't just because I drink the Kool-Aid and work there, but um, this is something that has been germane to our DNA from our existence, which is simplifying a human experience. Um, so for us, I think humanity has always been in our DNA. So the the way that we focused is sort of this um, phased approach to what we would call rapid response. Um, And the questions that a lot of brand marketers are asking themselves are sort of twofold. One, if we show up and we don't acknowledge this conversation, we seem completely tone deaf. And two, um, if we show up, how do we say something that feels different? Um, How are we not in this sort of like sea of sameness and just sort of like, feeling like we're piling on to what everyone else is saying and this is especially true in sort of the sector that we that we compete in so um the things that we've been thinking about differently is how do we actually um align with like-minded partners and other companies that would probably be considered potentially a competitor how do we create partnerships and sort of band together in moments like this and then um it's absolutely starting our conversations with um, building trust by by our brand and the things that we want to offer our customers. I think Rob mentioned this, but um, you know the the lens that which we're placing all of our uh, initiatives under is is this helpful? Um, this is not an opportunistic moment for us, even though it's difficult, you know, when it, we're having CFO conversations, it's difficult to not feel that way of, okay, we are a virtual and a digital company offering workplace solutions, um, but everyone is very much aligned all the way to the top down that, you know, everything that we need to do needs to be under that lens of, are we actually helping our customers right now?
0: I know tech companies are extremely focused on demand generation, which already creates an interesting challenge for brand marketers inside of tech companies. Um, Do you think a moment like this gives brand marketers a a chance to shine and really show the power of brand? Or is the world even more acquisition focused because, you know, the CFO has a stronger voice during a time like
5: this? I think the, the former. I think this is a, a time for a brand to shine. And that sort of alludes back to what I had mentioned of a lot of my colleagues in brand having serious chats with ourselves. Um, I, I personally think um, and sort of documentation that I continue to go back to is the Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, I think that this is sort of the catalyst of what consumers have expected from brands for a long time. Um, I think that just beliefs-based buying and a shift towards consumerism is something that is uh, definitely prevalent. And I do think that from a brand perspective, uh, this is an unfortunate catalyst, but a way that we should have been thinking about how we take brand to market and how we behave in the world um, on a day-to-day, irregardless of of this current cultural crisis. Thank you,
0: Jess.
5: Appreciate that. Of
0: course um so rachel i'm gonna move on to jamie from jp morgan let's um, do it and then we're gonna jump back we're gonna jump back to you so jamie hi welcome welcome back i guess <laughs> can you hear us uh i think your mic is muted the sound isn't coming through can you hear us now I can hear you. No. Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. Yes, okay. now we can hear you. Okay. No works. Okay, good. So, welcome, Jamie. So, um, Jamie, tell us a little bit about how, uh, how you, instead of JP Morgan, have thought about the creative challenge um, around responding quickly with content to all the different needs that your customers currently have and all the questions they have around how they can manage their wealth during a time like this. Um, how have you managed to do that given the fact that it's challenging to coordinate the production of content across many different partners?
6: Yeah, no, absolutely. We, um, for us, this is sort of our sweet spot in a way um, that's what we've been focusing on for a long time. We have tons of thought leaders who are always creating content and publishing views. And we're sort of, you know, we're a bank and a wealth manager, but we're in the advice business. So that's sort of just kind of turning the dial up to 11 right now is what we've been doing, just increasing that cadence a lot. So um, we had luckily done a lot of work in the past year or two, just getting our digital publishing machine humming um, and coming up with a publishing cadence and uh deciding what channels made sense for what kind of messages and so when this type of situation you know pops up so quickly we were lucky that we were able to just kind of you know turn on the fire hose so to speak and just get those views out there and so we've done that in a few different ways we've we've we have um an email dis- distribution that goes out weekly typically that we've now escalated to three times a week. And that's coming. That's mainly talking about markets and investment views and things like that. Um, we've started... And doing- by the way,
0: just real quick, who's making that content? Do you guys have an internal uh, writer team?
6: It's kind of a... a, a it's a combination. Yeah, we have so a couple of internal teams like sitting within our creative services team, which is interesting, but they're not actually the ones who are writing most of this content at this point. Like it's subject matter mm-hmm. experts who are sitting either in the investment strategy teams or the business advisory or um, economists or our, our chief economist who's really been um, compiling and publishing some incredible research just due to the access to data and government agencies and hospitals and you know experts around the world that that they have um, and so it's been you know everybody's just kind of been <laughs> losing sleep around the clock putting all of these types of things out there but um, to your point they may be writing it, but then there's digital production teams who are kind of catching it and doing all of the you know, things that need to be done, in, like whether it's a CMS or you know, digital channels to get it out to market. Um, and of course, tracking it using our notch measurement tools, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is very important. And even in the early days, we've been able to deliver some feedback, which is really helpful in a time like this to understand what's resonating and working. Um, we, so, you know, in addition to like things going out on the web and email, we really ramped up webcasts and calls with our clients. So that's something we would do typically like ad hoc or occasionally. And now we're doing it like minimum twice a week, sometimes more often. And they've been like off the charts, best attended that we've ever had. So we had something like, um, Twenty five thousand clients dialing into a webcast that we in oh wow. one day's notice to on Wednesday talking about how,
0: how many how many
6: customers do you have overall? Um, I think who would be invited to something like this? Maybe it's it's global, so it's tough to say, but it could be over between one and two hundred thousand. It was pretty good attendance. Oh, wow, but um, that attendance we were, is
0: crazy! Wow, amazing!
6: Yeah, it was crazy. We, we were very pleasantly surprised and happy that people were engaged and really seemed to have a thirst for this type of information. And so we we're trying to be thoughtful about what type of information it was we were providing. So it could, it we focused, for example, we did a webcast this past Friday. It was an hour long. The first half was purely dependable, factual, researched information about where we were with the virus and the spread and the hopes for a vaccine and containment and all these things, just really delivering some information that people can hang on to in this time of uncertainty. So that's the approach that we were taking. And then the second half was more, you know, market implications and what does it mean if, you know, 30% of GDP looks like it's going to be down and the unemployment numbers are skyrocketing and what is it going to mean for us and what can we expect for recovery? And of course, nobody knows, but being able to take a disciplined approach to the research and put that out there for people in a way that's digestible um, seemed to be the tonic that was needed in the moment. So um, that's really been our focus to have a nice, reliable cadence of well-researched, dependable information.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. That makes so much sense. And it sounds like you guys are essentially fighting the anxiety around this with a lot of great content Um, and by bringing people together, much like this forum. I think everyone's just so much hungrier for content and more willing to come together and connect. I think it makes us all feel a little bit less lonely and a bit more hopeful. So thank you.
2: Appreciate that. My pleasure. Uh, Rachel, back to you. All right, we're going to call on Venice, California. Beth, where are you at? I'm here. Okay, awesome. So, Beth is the chief commercial officer of Goldie Blocks. If you guys don't know Goldie Blocks, I hope this is at least one thing you Google today. Uh, they're a media company that introduces girls to STEM, so science, tech, engineering, math, through content, products, and experiences. Uh, so if your girls are home right now and you want them to learn how to code, this is the perfect time <laughs> to deal with Goldie box. Thanks for joining, Beth. Yeah, great to so, be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, your business is so diverse in terms of how you monetize your media property. I'm curious, how have your marketing plans evolved during coronavirus?
7: Well, similar to what a lot of people are talking about here, number one is we're we're all about being a solution. So there's over 500 million families at home now, those of us who are all sitting here in our rooms while our kids are on a Zoom or doing some homework in the background, um, reaching out any minute. Uh, We're really here to help families figure out um, how to keep their kids entertained and also learn simultaneously. So from a marketing perspective, we have also increased our communication. Um, we have a very robust newsletter of over 100,000 people. And so now what we've been doing is reaching out almost daily to let families know, in fact, today, how to make watermelon soap, because isn't watermelon soap way more fun than plain white soap? And in addition, what, why does soap work? Um, so there's those little tidbits uh, that are coming out on a daily basis to help families and kids learn something new and also create, right? Th- from a maker perspective, because girls love to make and um, now's the time for them to be making fun things that are actually gonna learn at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I would say that we're increasing that. We're also um, turning on uh, our paid performance marketing as well. We have a number of maker kits where kids and families, same thing, can learn. What a, how a circuit works by simultaneously developing a super cool unicorn pillow uh, that lights up in multiple colors. And so what we're doing is bringing the fun into STEM and to the at home, the safety at home scenario, um, and helping families just be able to create and you know design new things and learn STEM simultaneously.
2: In, you mentioned paid media. In terms of paid media, have you seen any channels underperform or overperform during this time? Yeah, so we're actually,
7: you know, it's interesting. We're usually targeting moms, but what we love is that we're finding that our audience of dads has increased. Mm. Um, you know, we had 30% of dads last, uh, back when we were in holiday time, which also was a surprise, and we were pretty stoked about that because you know, as a mom of boys now, you know, dad of girls are simultaneously looking for something awesome to do with their daughters. Um, You know, the other thing is that it's our story is resonating and um, like many of the other marketers here, GoldieBlox was born for this purpose, um, you know, to close the gender gap of women in STEM careers. And you have to start early and introduce girls into the world of STEM Uh, around the ages of six or seven so that they continue. And then ultimately it's not, we're not in the 80-20 world anymore. Um, But, you know, what we're finding is that during this time, parents are also looking for these projects. And so we have something called the all gold package, which is buying all eight of our products at a major discount right now to help families at home and we're selling more of those than we've ever sold before. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it sounds like it's, you know, kids are having a good time and and parents were happy to be able to offer a solution for families during this time.
2: That's awesome. I hope everyone checks it out. Who's on this line. You know, the other part of your business is the original content aspect, right? So now that we live in a world where we can't do original content shoots, how are you navigating that? So um, it's a little tricky as always, but I think because of our
7: YouTube digital background, we're super scrappy and uh, we're, we're looking at this in, in sort of the new arena where we're doing more, even shooting like this, right? Like actual um, education through experts. In fact, what we're doing next week, um, we have a, a female expert, viral expert, who has been studying bats for years from Stanford, and we're going to be doing a live chat with her next week so that kids and families can ask her about what's going on and and how bats can actually not only teach us about how viruses are born, but also how to cure these types of viruses, um, etc. So we're thinking about the, you know, we're thinking about where we are today and also how to utilize technology and our partners like YouTube to be able to bring
2: this content to families, um, all over the world. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Anda, who's up next.
0: So up next we have John from bank of America. Welcome John. Hey guys. Can you hear us?
8: Yeah, Hi.
2: absolutely.
0: So John, I'm so excited to hear from you because we, chatted on sunday you gave me a call to first of all tell me that i should never call you wise again because (laughs) you don't want to you don't want to sound old so i'm never calling you wise again (laughs) oh my god
9: that's hilarious um no that wasn't at the beginning of the call that was at the end of the call
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes that's true and two uh you sent me this amazing podcast that you've somehow managed to put together in the age of covid with what was it like three different people being interviewed they were all doing the interview from their own homes and recording themselves on an iPhone, and it all sounded so seamless. How have you guys managed to, to do that and other things? And by the way, there's a question, actually, I was just looking at about audio as a channel um, and whether we as co-hosts think that that is going to grow in importance and an in investment. So I'd love for you to maybe take both of those as a, as a start off.
9: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think we've been pretty... Um We're looking at innovative ways of making things clearer for people. I mean, there's a lot of audio casts that are coming out of the bank on a daily basis where people are hearing phone calls and researchers. And so what we want to do is make sure that everything we're doing is accessible to the layperson. A lot of this stuff is complex and when you look at, you know, search terms, the the search terms are very simple and very clear. People are looking for some some answers. I mean for that particular piece. Um, we asked people to take their iPhone and and hold one iPhone a a foot away from them and record the conversation and then use another phone for the conversation that they were having for the podcast. Then we asked them to send us Mm -hmm. the the audio recording directly, uh, whether Dropbox or uh, (laughs) intro links, so that we could um, get the audio file. And then we edited the, the audio. We, all of the, the team took all of their editing tools home um, and threw the music on and did some quick packaging and, and threw that out on iTunes. So that was one way. Another- How another, quickly
0: did you turn that around, John?
9: Well, we taped it last uh, Thursday and we were ready on Monday to put it out there. You know, we weren't working all weekend on it, but a little bit of work over the weekend. I think for video too, and, I, and we're, we're seeing that YouTube um, searches are up and, and YouTube um, uh, demand is up, and so there's been a lot of how-to requests. Um, and for video, we're just accepting the fact that, that people are, well, you know, you can't watch a program where the anchor or a reporter isn't, re- you know, recording out of their home. So if you use Zoom or if you use uh, FaceTime recordings, we're okay. We're coaching people before the video. We're trying to get the best quality that we can, but people are receptive to this. And I think we should try not to be perfect so we can get some video out there and and answer people's questions. One of the top questions today was, will I be getting a stimulus check? What should I do with the stimulus check? Um, So having um, an Ask Merrill video out there for our Merrill clients or for the Better Money Habits, the consumers who, are very interested in that information, getting them that video uh, from someone that they can trust um, it, it, It's not as hard if you just you're willing to kind of be innovative with your um, delivery.
0: John, you're a thought leader in the content space. Um, you've been um, such an inspiration to I think a massive community of of content leaders. Tell us, what do you think it happens with content? Or, or rather, how, how has your job and the importance of your job and your craft evolved from before COVID? Tell us about during COVID and after COVID.
9: Yeah, I mean, like, this whole situation we're in is just so hard for so many people. And so many people are going through so many things. And we all know people, I have people on my team who are, um, you know, not, not well. And um, so, I mean, the most important thing is is that it's, it's been hard for everyone. And, and, and I think we all re- understand that empathy is how you connect with people, uh, and even in our content programming. Um, and I also think that you know, the, the idea that messaging and, and but certainly product messaging is going to have to move aside for fact-based answers for people. I think that's very important. And so my team has really rallied around the opportunity to deliver um, those answers and those insights. So we feel we're not just inspired, we feel really proud as a team to be able to deliver that content. Um, And I think like after, if you think about after this, I think, you know, Lou always talks about the reappraisal. And I think that, you know, the value in what um, teams like mine have delivered for companies has always been realized. Um, But I don't think at this level, and I think for the first time as people are rethinking their messaging, or pulling back campaigns, but still investing in media. What do they want out there as the answer for people or the insight or the education um, or the pat on the back? And, and maybe that pat on the back is, is also fact-based. Um, so I do think that there's gonna be a greater role. The other thing that I think is gonna change is the incredible integration that has to happen to get things out quickly. I mean, there's, there's really no, I mean, marketing and comms coming together the way they are, having the right messaging in place, you still you still need that north star so that your content efforts, whatever your audience, are on target. And um, I think that the way people have moved in an integrated way in and in, at speed um, has been pretty um, pretty impressive. Um, and then the last thing was newsrooms. Like the newsroom was something that people reluctantly participated in for a long time. You know, like we, we got to get newsrooms together. Now they're where people are gathering to make very important and fast decisions. And, and that's to both manage the quantity, because quality has to exceed quantity. It's not how much we're putting out there. Though it's important, volume does matter. But the quality and understanding and having people together to, what is the story arc? What do you need to tell in this piece? What do people need to know? What, what's the format and where is it going to be delivered? So I think the embracing of a newsroom structure will will come out of this
3: with with those i think those trends
0: i love that thank you john
2: appreciate sure. it rachel back to you thanks At uh, kate bombas are you in the room i am here Hello. hey kate i, I believe you're here. you're tuning in from cape cod I am, hence the the fish in the background. (laughs) Um, So everyone who's listening, Kate is the CMO of Bombas. Uh, If you at least live in New York City, I'm sure you've been on a subway where you've seen a Bombas ad. Amazing socks. Now, Kate, I'm curious, in terms of giving, that's always been a huge part of your brand. Are you doing anything in particular, though, for coronavirus?
10: Yeah, we're doing a bunch. So um, with one of our partners, we actually advocated uh, pretty aggressively with one of the city agencies, DHS, to allow us to still be able to distribute aid um, to the homeless population in this, um, in this environment. Um, So we're distributing about 25,000 socks within New York on top of what we normally do. We also worked with a number of different partner organizations to help them redistribute um, supplies that they had. So hand sanitizer, masks, etc. I'm um, trying to get those to the right places. We got um, Brooklyn in to donate 400 pairs of sheets uh, to the Bowery Mission. Cool. Um, they're now changing over there. They're cleaning way more frequently than they, than they normally would. Um, so we're, we're pretty active um, with the community at the moment. You know, like all of us, I would say our giving partners are really adjusting to the new reality as well. Um and so actually many of them, which is amazing to hear, have been actually inundated with requests um, for volunteer like people are volunteering more actually than the shelters um have capacity to take on. And I think they're still trying to understand a little bit better what their near term mm. needs are. Um, so yeah, we're 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 in pretty constant communication with our our giving partners at this time and doing a lot
2: to support them as best we can. Got it. Um, since Bombas is a name that often represents all direct to consumer brands, at least in the eyes of the media. You know, you guys have been heralded for your insane revenue growth. Have you reforecasted your business because of coronavirus?
10: Yeah, so, so yes and no. I would say, um, you know, we we're two weeks into this, essentially. Um, we're not in a place where we're willing to say the last two weeks are representative of the whole year and to say like this is our new revenue target for the year I would say the executive team is in the process of doing a bunch of downside planning mm-hmm. um, it's just a prudent thing to do but at this point yeah we're really more in trying to preserve our agility um, we're lucky in that we're a profitable business and have been really since day one and so I'm really grateful to have that foundation in in the business and I think that focus on profitability is something that that uh,
2: will serve us well in a, in a time that's more uncertain. Got it. Well, thanks, Kate. Um, I really appreciate all these insights. I'm sure everyone else did too.
10: Good thing. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Of
0: course. Onda,
2: who is up? So Josh
0: Golden from Adage. switching gears a little bit, thinking, of putting our media brand cap on. Um, Josh, welcome.
11: Thank you, Onda. Looking so He's- lovely in that sunlight, I must say.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's the yellow. Um, so I, I wanted to, to hear from you from kind of a couple of angles here. One is, how are you guys thinking about the Ad age brand during a time like this and the role it can play? And then separately, how are you seeing brands think of AdAge as a partner during a time like this as well?
11: Yeah. So, um you know, I have the benefit of being now with the brand for just uh just uh, just shy of 4 years now. And I will tell you that um uh Heidi Waldski, who is my my associate publisher reminded me. She's like, "You know, Josh, um AdAge was founded, you know, 2 weeks after the market crash in, you know, in the, in the in the 30s." So, uh you know, AdAge have sort of seen it, you know, in the bad times and the good times, and so AdAge has to sort of endlessly be there in reference and in support of the brands during the best and the worst times and, and be there and, and ever present. And I do believe, uh, going back uh, to a comment from Jess earlier, I really believe that there's this great Igor Stravinsky quote that I've been using a lot recently. And I, it's a, he's a conductor from the 20th century, so you, know, you may or may not know him. But the point was, he said this great thing, which was, within the, the, great, within the greatest limitations comes the most creativity. So if our box was originally TV and print and outdoor and all these different wonderful things we can do as brands, now uh, all the brands are asked to figure out: well, what would you do inside of this box? And yeah. that opportunity is fabulous for us to be like, well, what can we do? And I can say as a as a person who's now I don't know it's my ninth Zoom call today, um, you know that uh, that you have to think about what it is that we can do to move the brand forward last week it was you know just sort of silent and definitely very small and now this week we've seen some real good momentum like i was on a call yesterday actually a large uh, telecom brand you know that wants to sort of do something that fits within their brand purpose but also is is help to the brand so those two things moving forward it was really smart i was like it's not just like Someone saying, I'm going to just do something because it's the right thing to start coming, coming back to work. It's actually moving the brand forward, but leaning on their purpose because they're already, doing the, they're already doing this kind of work. So had you not established your purpose prior to, I don't know, a couple months ago, uh, your SOL. But I, so I've seen a lot of growth uh, in this, just this week of the brands that have already sort of established a great point of view coming to the table and saying, oh, now we're ready to say this thing, but we're going to tune it for, so to not to be tone deaf.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, what are the, you know, similar question to what I asked Rob, what are the behaviors and the, maybe the creative mediums and maybe the creative messages that you think will really stick? This, this purpose-driven um, creative messaging, we've been talking about it as an industry. I remember when I was in Cannes, Every CMO under the sun said the word purpose in some way, shape, or form. I feel like now, as as you said, you know, it's really coming to life, and we can tell who actually was ready for it and who wasn't. Do you think that continues, or do we, do you think we move back into a you know transactional performance driven model yeah. as soon as we snap out of this?
11: So you know, I'm am an optimist. I, I maybe you couldn't tell. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I really believe that um, you know now is the moment for all the brands that have leaders within them that have the capacity to do something differently, they're all going to say like, I'm going to try this just like you guys did notch and McMax stood up this idea. And I was like that thing that they're doing, they're doing it. I don't know. You did it six days earlier than everyone else did it. It was fabulous. And it was right on the money for what it, what our world needed. And so, you know, Adage age stood up our own, event today where Marla was on it uh and we had a couple other, you know, pieces as well. And we had two thousand attendees join us on five different platforms. So I do believe that it would be difficult for me as a marketer, as a brand as a brand marketer that's responsible for AdAge to walk away from things that um that have been happening. I just don't think that uh it would be smart for for you know a virtual event, for example, just to stop doing it because well, now we're back to work, although I'd love to see, say in July or late June that everyone's sort of back and virtual events or thing, and I'm not sure handshakes are ever going to come back for a while, but let's just say they did. Um, you know uh, <laughs> it's going to be a while for that to come up, but I do believe that uh, maybe ten or fifteen percent of what has been invented in this you know in this time frame will then carry in and carry and carry forward i'd like to see I'd like to see at age do. You know, uh, uh, virtual events like this um, because it, it's, it's logical and it fits and it fits with our brand. And we're already, already doing it anyway. We just never felt the need to do it because there was always this interest of that human interaction. But, you know, if you can have it like this and it still feels like humans learning and interacting, it's three quarters of the way. It's like the difference between like a, a letter and a phone call or a phone call and a FaceTime. You know, it's that improved, well, it's not totally there, but it's kind of there. So, I, I, you know, as, as I've been watching um, this last week and this one as well as what we did today. I see uh, certain things sticking around for sure.
0: Thank you, Josh, and uh, Rachel and I are open for bids if you'd like for us to host this on, on the AdAge platform, so let us know. <laughs> oh, I see, okay,
11: that's, that's a wonderful <laughs> offer, both of you. Thank you.
2: You can live stream yeah. up to AdAge's Twitch.
11: Yeah, well, it's funny, <laughs> we, did, we did do, uh, we did Twitch today as well. I do, I wanna recommend and do a little shout out for StreamYard, if no one knows the platform, it was awesome. Mm. It allowed us to live streams of LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitch, and um, our site uh, all simultaneously. That's cool, Very cool.
2: Anda, um, you think it's time for the poll? Oh, yeah.
0: Let's, let's shoot up the poll. Um, so the, for those in the audience and for the co-hosts as well, We've decided to send you a question so that uh, we're starting to look at some data as we continue the conversation. So if you could please look at your screen
2: and answer real quick, that'd be great. So what are you doing with your events budget from now until the end of June is the question. Awesome. Uh, I think we should take a question from the audience. Yeah, let's do it. There's a lot of good ones, yeah. Um, I want to do, I think, Christine Cook's. So, with 100% lift in news consumption and journalists being described in similar ways to healthcare workers, it is likely brands will see news differently going forward. So, because of the growth of news and the importance of journalism, do we feel marketers will be more open to moving paid dollars to news organizations? Who wants to take this? I feel like, Rob, you might have a perspective. Anyone? I else? have one. All right, let's
9: hear it. So I think prior to this, um, you know, the, our media teams were looking at supporting news organizations that were helping to deliver the truth. I think truth is so important and brand, I think that trend will be accelerated. I mean, before this, it was critical to us over the last three months, how are we working with the right companies? When, when the New York Times or the Atlantic would come to us, we wanted to work with them not just because they had good ideas, but because they were extending the value on, in a news organization. So I, do, I just think it's catapulted. Uh, that's
3: my response.
0: Rob, what about you?
3: Well, I have to declare an interest. I'm on the board of the BBC Global News and World Service and BBC.com. So I do have a, a, a dog in the race, so to speak. Uh, I would love to think that Uh, People got over the idea that somehow there was a toxicity related to the truth. And whether the world is full of good news or bad news, the fact is that the things other than sport with which most members the public who buy things are engaged with is the news. And Brands have coexisted with the news for over 100 years in advertising terms. It's tremendous value for money. It gets an engaged user and whilst tonality remains important in advertising, advertisers should not produce draconian blacklists that eliminates the funding for one of the most important elements of our society. I don't feel strongly about it,
2: though. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rob. Wow. Um, I knew that would be a good one. So uh, up next is Dana uh, from Sanofi. Dana, you still still with us broadcasting I, from your basement? I am, I am, sorry I was on mute. No worries, so everyone, Dana is the head of media at Sanofi. Sanofi, I'm sure you guys own some of these products like Icy Hot, Gold Bond. So, uh, you know, Dana, the last few weeks we've heard countless direction to not hoard products right now. I'm curious, during this time, have you seen a change in the customer journey and buying patterns.
12: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, um you know, I mean, our reason for existing is today, right? I mean, as an organization, we're about customers and patients and making sure that we're meeting those needs. Um, we have seen a lot of um, what looks like pantry stocking of our products. And so a lot of our focus is around making sure that we're securing our supply chain, making sure that there's product available as people need it. And and unlike, I think a lot of the other panelists who've discussed, um, you know, focusing on purpose-driven type of messaging, we're sort of going back to our roots and. Being being able, looking to be able to provide patients and customers with information, information that's important to them, particularly now as they're trying to understand what's the difference between a cold and an allergy. What are they suffering mm-hmm. right now? Um, how do they kind of know the difference? How do they know when they need to raise an alarm bell versus you know taking an OTC product? I think the other thing as an OTC division of Sanofi, we need to kind of do our part so that we can allow the RX side to focus on the more important things like finding a cure right now. And so we need to deliver deliver against our core part of the business so that we can allow the funding and the, and, the, and the money to go towards the bigger purpose of why we exist, which is trying to find a cure right now.
2: Mm. Um, that's a very motivating message, I'm sure, for your team. Since you lead media, what changes are you making to the media plans that you might already have in market?
12: So I think we're, we're constantly analyzing what, what is, you know, um, again we're, we're looking at the demand that's coming through along with our media spend because the last thing we want to do is create a situation where um, you know there's more demand than we have supply um, we are um, I think you talked a little bit at the the start of this um, around e-commerce we're looking at where where are channels that we can fulfill demand and how do we move dollars to where we can actually make sure that demand is being met um, how do we make sure that you know we're um, we're adapting our creative and our messaging to Um, think about, you know, again, how can we supply information? I mean, we work on allergy products. Allergy products usually focus a lot of outdoor activity. How Mm -hmm. does that work in a day like today, you know, where people can't be outdoors, can't be enjoying the outdoors the way that they traditionally do, but but there's still a need for our products. So how do we kind of adapt our messaging and our messaging strategies? Um, How do we look at you know, everything from our manufacturing plants to figure out how we can supply things that are in need. So, you know, we have Gold Bond, which is, um, you know, a hand lotion. Um, you know, how do we look at our manufacturing plants and look at things like, can we provide hand sanitizer? Are there things that we can do to sort of shift our, our resources to be able to meet the demands of what's, what's currently most um, important You know, we're looking at our measurement, our metrics. We're understanding engagement in our messaging, so that we know which are the messages that are resonating. Are we seeing drop off in our view through rates on certain messages, which kind of gives us the sense that those are not the most urgent ailments that our Mm -hmm. consumers and our patients are, you know, focused on. How do we put the dollars towards those things that are the most um, important and on people's mind, you know, and most concerning right now? Mm Hmm.
2: Um. My last question for you. You know, we're partners and I know that you guys were planning some product launches, some net new product launches. How are you thinking about net new product launches in a time of coronavirus?
12: i think along with the same filter of everything else we're looking at you know now is not the time to you know launch a new product to try to make an extra dollar if it's not relevant um we're better focused pushing our dollars against those things that again um allow us to meet patient demand and consumer demand um you know um we we, as you do know we had a couple of big launches um There's there's uh, logistical issues as well. It's very hard to create shoot creative right now, right? Mm -hmm. So there are logistical issues as well in terms of um, successfully launching those brands. But again, the more important filter is: are those products relevant right now? Mm -hmm. Because if they're not relevant, um, it would be nothing but tone deaf to try to launch new products right now. In 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 a world where people are going in for the most critical products, we don't want to create a need. We don't want to create Additional need for consumers to spend time in 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 grocery and in mass for products that aren't really relevant to what what they need today.
2: Yep. Thank you, Dana. Um, Kyle from California, you here? How's it going, Rachel? Good. So Kyle is the VP of digital marketing at Monster Energy. Um, so still in the category of consumer products, but way different than I would say gold bond. So yeah. So, Kyle, I'm curious, how are your marketing plans evolving right now, you know, given the backdrop of everything that's happening?
13: Yeah, it's really interesting. I I like, um, I'm losing track of everybody who's talking. There's been some really great insights here, but um, somebody talking about the sandbox, right? And, you know, now with a constricted sandbox, you have to get more creative. You know, Monster historically has driven all its marketing off experiential, event-based, grassroots marketing. None of that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, you know, it has almost forced us to do the things that my team and I have been advocating, which is we need to be investing in promoting the right experiences um, more forcefully in the digital space. We need to be expanding the scope of how we promote our product portfolio in the digital space, and particularly e-commerce, which we're obviously working with you guys at Micmac on. Um, so in a weird way, this situation has kind of forced everybody to sort of narrow focus on how we do that. Because we don't have any other choice right now. We don't have Supercross. That whole circuit got canceled. Our NASCAR sponsorship, none of those races are happening. Um, And then there's a lifestyle angle to this, which is the company's been predominantly heavy in action sports. Um, We are actually OG to gaming. We're one of the few non-endemic brands in the gaming and esports space that has the reputation of an endemic brand. Mm. But we haven't invested in it the right way. And I'm on emails, even as everybody's talking, where Kurt Busch and Ricky Stenhouse are going to participate in NASCAR iRacing on the weekend. And then now all of a sudden you've got the NASCAR team hitting my team up because gaming and esports rolls into digital saying, what do we do? How do we take advantage of this? How do we get on Twitch? How do we you know, harness the power of that community for these people who have zero idea what they're doing? Um, we've been setting up rigs. Uh, for eSports streaming with some of the drivers because they have no idea. But so I've got our gaming team on the phone saying, here, we'll walk you through how to set your computer up, your monitor up, everything to be you know, ready to rock and roll. So it's interesting in the sense that like, you obviously don't like for these things to happen on a human level. They're terrible in, in many respects. Um, but I would say from, from my team's vantage point, it's, it's helped us in the sense that we have a clear focus now that we can kind of rally everybody around to say, you know, we need to be doing things fewer, bigger and better um, and investing more in the digital space that way versus trying to just cover the event landscape with monster logos.
2: Mm mm-hmm. um, So you talked about, you know, shift to e-com. Dana before was talking about demand inventory management. How are you thinking about that right now? Retailer specific media programs and marrying that to what inventory and demand is available?
13: Yeah, we're trying to do a couple things. Um, and a few people have touched on this, whether it's going back to your roots or thinking new and different ways of, of talking to consumers, but I do think your role and the context context always matters. You know, there's that saying if context is king, context or content is king, context is God. I, I really do think context matters. Now, so at Monster, we've done a lot of soul searching on, you know, the, the companies here that are talking about social good and some of those angles, we're doing that we're doing it behind the scenes, right? We're supporting the military. We're we're supporting uh, frontline healthcare workers with, you know, cases of monster energy if they need a boost because they're working 18 hour, 24 hour, 48 hour shifts. Um, But we're not out there trying to be the brand that's going to hug the world because it's just not a part of uh, our core and who we are. And it would come across as inauthentic if all of a sudden monster was this brand who's trying to be a cuddly teddy bear who's, you know, helping everybody feel a bit better about themselves. What we can do, though, is we can provide levity to people because we have a ton of entertaining content in different walks of life that people would love to watch and kill time and break away from the news for. And we have a lot of products that quite literally, if you need a boost because you have three toddlers running around or you're trying to meal prep for the week or you need to work until midnight because you've been taking care of your kids halfway through the day, guess what? We have all kinds of stuff where We have a coffee with an energy blend in it. We have zero sugar energy drinks that have different flavors. Like We can kind of help you get the boost you need. So we're trying to think of it from those two angles. And on the product angle, we're working sort of retailer by retailer, right? As the shifts happening to e-commerce, you know, we're seeing that trend as well. Most of our business is still C-store and a lot of them are still open for business, but the foot traffic's down, obviously. C-store as in, for folks who don't know. Convenience store, sorry. Yeah, like convenience retail. So 7-Eleven, Circle K, Speedway, single can purchase is still Mm -hmm. predominantly how we're sold. E-com's exploding, Mm -hmm. Amazon in particular, but you got to get somebody over the hump to buy a case of Monster. I mean, that's just reality. Um, But we are seeing growth there. So what we're trying to do is say, what's the low-hanging fruit? Um, Going out and going after new consumers with a brand message right now can work. Going out with a product message is tough because you're trying to convince somebody to try a new product when they're really focused on essentials. So we've been kind of attacking it retailer by retailer and saying, who are our current customers? Who are people who have sent us a signal that they're interested? Maybe they visited a product detail page. Maybe they did an energy drink search. Let's go after those people, right, with the right kind of product to meet the needs that they have. Let's make sure the message is contextually relevant. So if we're talking about our Hydro product, which is a competitor to Gatorade, smart water, vitamin water, let's talk about, you know, this is the hydration you can get um, with an energy boost for crunches you're doing on your couch instead of in the gym, right? Like things that can help people make a personal connection to the product in the same way they might have with a Gatorade or with a smart water. So that's our focus right now. And then we also have to play with the retailers because, you know, Target, uh, Next Media for everything that's deemed non-essential. So we can't even run on Target right now, whereas Amazon is open for business.
2: Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Kyle. Really appreciate that. Yeah. So Ingrid is the VP of Global E-Commerce at Elf. Um, so Ingrid, I'm curious to hear perspective of beauty during this time when everyone's staying home. Have you seen a shift in the customer journey?
8: Yes. Definitely. So uh, just going, rewinding about three weeks ago to pre-coronavirus world, our March messaging was all about festival season. So Coachella, um, and it's all the impactful makeup looks that make you ready for those moments. So it's like glitter, eyeshadow, um, you know, really, really bold lips, and people are just not quite there. And so we've actually seen a shift definitely on our e-commerce sales and consumer behavior and then also in google trends and then there's larger industry trends towards skincare and self-care right Mm -hmm. so there's um there's people that are for the first time investing playing with multi-step skincare whereas before it would just be simple they're also connecting skincare with health, uh, self care, right? So it's like, how do we in this high anxiety time adjust our personal habits to just make ourselves feel a little bit better? Um, There's been a pretty steep decline in color cosmetics. In specific channels, though, so for example, on Reddit, there's people are having a feel day with their like, I finally have the 45 minutes in the morning to do Mm -hmm. the eye look I've been meaning to try. So there's these like, really amazing artistry looking things that are happening and people are pulsing into the eye looks and the palettes and the really high payoff products that they've never seen before. So we've actually seen a big splinter in like general consumer behavior, but then these like niche
2: groups have been amped up more so than ever. Does this mean you're shifting paid spend to Reddit?
8: We're shifting our channel strategy as well as our creative strategy. So we always have had a pretty robust skincare message, um, communication strategy, but that was across many different channels. And then the same thing with, with color cosmetics, Mm -hmm. um, what we ended up doing was holding color cosmetics messaging and being very, very channel specific with it. So we're not actually entirely doubling down on Reddit, but we're just really fine tuning the messaging that we're doing in that specific channel.
2: Got it. So, uh, last question for you: This uptick in skincare—that wasn't something you were planning for. So, from like a supply chain, demand, media spend, how are you managing all that?
8: Yeah. Very, very actively. So I've been on calls daily with both our paid media agency, as well as our warehouse to try and understand. So as soon as we started seeing the trend towards skincare, we immediately had my merchant pull, like how many weeks of demand do we already have in stock? Mm. And then, you know, based just taking a look at where other stock can potentially be pulled from. Um, So for example, Ulta stores, those you know, they're not happening. They have seen a huge increase in their e-commerce, which we're very, very happy for. But we're we're reallocating inventory from the retail space into the e-commerce space based on
2: the early insights and then understanding how much stock on hand we had. Got it. Well, thank you. I know you have to jump. Um, Really appreciate all those insights too. So, Anda, yeah, yeah, thank you. Should we bring back uh, Twitter and LinkedIn?
0: Yes, so just to give you guys, um, everyone who's tuning in, um, a preview of the end of the conversation. We're going to have Twitter, LinkedIn, Microsoft, and then I've asked Dina from Edelman to bring it all back for us and summarize the conversation a little, but also what they are seeing at Edelman across many different customers. Because I think that's going to be a really fascinating perspective. Um, so let's kick it off with Stacy. Are you, are you here, Stacey? Yeah, there you yes. are. Can you hear me? Yes. So Stacey, okay. you're, you're at Twitter. You, you guys are kind of the platform where so much of the conversation is happening. Um, similar question to you as we had for Josh. How are you thinking of this as a brand and as a company around kind of your yeah. mission at this moment in time? And then how are you seeing other companies use Twitter as a platform to spread their message at a time like this?
5: Yep.
14: Yeah. Uh, first, I want to say thank you to you and Rachel for being agile marketers and putting this together so quickly last week and then creating the thank follow-up. You. It's been really insightful. Um, and I look after a team that's focused on content creation for brands called Twitter Art House. And I want to talk about what brands are doing um, in light of COVID and how they're navigating the new, the new normal. But I thought it would also be helpful to deep dive into some of the insights we're seeing around conversation and consumption Because that was something that popped in the Zoom chat last week. Um, And less about the content to start, but just more about the conversation and what people are thinking and feeling. And so if you think about how people turn to Twitter every day to see what's happening in the world or to express their thoughts and feelings, um, things like news, politics, sports and entertainment pop on the platform every day. But we wanted to look at the conversations that were actually growing in volume and velocity week over week as COVID started to kind of take over the conversation. So where did we see surges and spikes that were interesting um, to consumers and marketers? Um, So starting with, I'm going to just run down these really quickly, but um, we saw a 700 X growth in tweets about education. So as parents start to become at home teachers and shift from taking care of the family to actually educating their, their kids, We're seeing a lot of conversation about that. Um, Obviously, travel and within travel, you've got the conversations around the theme park closings, um, the cruise ship uh, contaminations, but also people feeling this pent up desire to travel and explore. Even if they didn't have a vacation plan for the next few months, now they want to get out of their house and go somewhere. (laughs) Um, So we're seeing conversation about that. Um, we've seen business leaders leading the way more so than government. So we're seeing conversation about um, CEOs like Tim Cook who are making a commitment to manufacture um, masks, as well as uh, Elon Musk focus on ventilators. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates made a donation to um, fund uh, pharmaceutical testing and research to try to find a cure. Um, And we're also seeing, um, Rachel, you'll love this, we're seeing a pop in retail, 17X increase in conversation around things like um, panic buying, product shortages, um, delivery windows and delivery slots for groceries, people start to convert that behavior online. Um, We've seen an increase in dating as uh, people are trying to figure out how the hell do you (laughs) date in this new world in the virtual reality? Um, and also exercise and fitness as people are concerned about um, being contained and quarantined inside, how do they actually feel a sense of like health and wellness and release um, when they feel like they might be quarantined for the next several months. Um, so those are some of the conversation increases that we saw. And then within that, we also looked at sentiment. And uh, we had this hypothesis, we were going to see more anxiety, fear, frustration, then we would see hope and optimism. And we saw uh, that optimistic conversation outpaced um, negativity, which we were very surprised by. Um, There was a lot of conversation about gratitude, um, caring for family and friends, um, having Zoom conversations with social networks, um, actually getting closer to people, even though they're further apart physically. Um, And then when we looked at positive sentiment, we also see pets. Um, At first, people were trying to understand if pets could actually contract coronavirus. And then it shifted to appreciation that people are spending more time with their pets as they're working from home. And that's also like just a source of therapy. Um, And then obviously, like music, movies, gaming, um, streaming has become you know, an escape and also a lifesaver for a lot of people. So I'm not sure if you guys saw, but um, uh, uh, Beyonce Stan um, tweeted that we should all get together and watch Homecoming and she put HOME in all caps. And Beyonce retweeted that and it became this cultural moment. And then Netflix enabled that and live streamed streamed the watch party on Twitter. Um, And like 600,000 people tuned into it to have this collective conversation about that event so that was the coachella documentary came out months ago but it was a time to relive and re-experience that Um, so I, i hit the conversation stuff we also looked at consumption video content and what people are consuming and we saw the biggest spike in content from creators and i'm using that term broadly meaning like entertainers celebrities people are know wanting to hear from um, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson or they just want a moment of escape with Chrissy Teigen a little bit of laughter Um, so definitely more interest in celebrity content and digital creators um, who are creating those moments of levity Um, and we have seen a decline in sports consumption because there's not as much there's not as many clips and highlights and I I don't know if Rob is still on but there's still a sustained conversation about sports there's still rabid fan bases talking about, you know, when their team is going to come back. A lot of people actually supported the shutdown of various seasons, but they're just, they're hungering to see, you know, see their, their favorite teams come back and play. Um, So that is, that hits the conversation and consumption piece. And then Anda, you asked about what brands are doing. And I, too, feel like there's been this sort of oversaturation of the term purpose-driven branding. And I'm trying to (laughs) think of another way, another um, buzzword or phrase to capture that. But um, definitely making investments focused in helping and supporting the situation and acknowledging this sort of unprecedented time that we're in is something that we are seeing. Um, So like Verizon, for example, they're live streaming a content series that starts tonight. It's gonna be on Twitter and Yahoo, and that's focused on funding local businesses. Um, And you talked about that last week, Rachel, you said, how can the platforms help? Uh, We are seeing brands like Miller and Tito's and uh, Jameson are actually donating to the U.S. Bartenders Guild because there's so many restaurant workers and bars that have shut down and those people are out of work. So we're seeing big brands support small business um, through campaigns and cause related efforts and then oh sorry
2: oh no i'm so excited for the dave matthews tonight on twitter moving on to uh to you it's a good segue
0: satya is obviously one of the leaders who's inspiring the rest of us to um to put out a message of hope and positivity out in the world microsoft as a company um, all the different brands inside of microsoft and the role that they're playing during this crisis
15: yeah well first thanks for hosting this and for everyone who's, you know, still watching, because I know that we're probably all multitasking in our new normal. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing is we may come out of this measuring companies a little bit differently. I think you can't come out of a situation like this and then just go back to normal. I mean, um, you don't learn anything that way. There's no growth mindset that way. And and what this could mean is, um, you know, maybe we measure companies by how much they take care of their employees. So, you know, maybe there's, a, there's possibilities of paying people for sick leave, which we don't necessarily have in the United States. Um, you know, paying part-time workers who might not be able to put in time because of closures. That's a case that we're going through right now with Microsoft stores. Um, so I think those are a lot of things that will you know, come on to the agenda. I I think what's interesting is when Satya was, you know, became CEO, he, he always recommends books for the company to read. And he, he had recommended Thomas Piketty's, you know, Capital in the 21st century. I think that book is more relevant now than ever, because it really talks about inequality. And we're starting to see that a little bit more uh, in some places. and, And I think those are things that companies may have to address if the if the government doesn't do that. I mean, I know for a fact, my kids are at home, I'm homeschooling them. There is no way to do online education with their school district. Yet we live in King County, which is one of the wealthier places in the United States. So I think, you know, those are things too, where companies might say like, how do we actually uh, future proof for um, possible things that might might happen, you know, down the line? I think the shock to our industry is You know, most people have looked at trend forecasters as like, yeah, I don't really want to pay for that. That's just a bunch of BS. I don't need that. I think those people are more, well, those people are like gold now uh, compared to some of the the other positions we have because everything should be anticipatory. Um, You know, we should always anticipate, you know, where are we going next rather than the reactive state that I think we've caught ourselves up in.
0: That makes sense. Thank you so much, Jeff. As you guys think about um, coming out of the crisis as, as a company, are you guys thinking about remote working as something that's more permanent and is going to stick around? I know that a lot of us smaller tech companies are, are thinking about it a lot more seriously now that we've seen the actual uptake in productivity since we've all gone remote. You know, I think there's
15: something to be said about how we work. I mean, I think, um, re- I think remote working... There was, there's was, there been a question the last couple of years, especially here on the West Coast, because the cost of living was, you know, I'll speak to everyone who lives out here. It's, you know, it's exorbitant and, and it, was, it was not sustainable. Uh, and a lot of people were asking, hey, could I work remote so that I could live somewhere where I could actually afford, you know, a home? I, I think we've opened those doors up now. I think it's very difficult for someone to say, well, I need you here in the office after all of this, especially if this goes on for many more months and we also have to remember too i mean i'm not an epidemiologist but even if things are opened up again they may say we need people to continue to work from home so you you still practice social distancing i don't think that's something that a lot of um companies have really been forefront about moving forward they think that like there's this timeline that you know maybe in august we'll all be able to go back to work i think we have to plan for this to be much longer where you know it 's possible that they say, "Hey, we want kids to go to school again, but as a result, we need people working from home so that we can mm. practice social distancing. These are things that are not really coming out and being talked about. I, I really hope more business leaders do talk about them and say, "Look, how do we actually prepare for this? What is the technology that we're going to use and again it's going to be a hodgepodge of things. I think that conversation should be happening now though rather than like, "Hey, how do we get through this for the next couple of weeks, um, especially with the you know, information changing day to day, and now that the United States has the most cases and has passed China, while we were on this call.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate that, um, Dina. You are the EVP and editorial director of Edelman. You've heard the name Edelman being mentioned a few times on the Zoom chat. Um, I think you guys have really become a uh, you know a true barometer for the trust that brands have which I think now more than ever matters. Tell us, what do you see uh, from the perspective of Edelman? I'm sure you're advising and counseling many customers at the moment. Um, what are the changes and how are you advising them to plan or replan in, in this age of crisis and COVID? Um, first of all, thanks for everybody who has
16: mentioned Edelman and our trust barometer. Um, um, I used to think it was total BS when I first got to Edelman to be honest, I'm a <laughs> journalist, so by training. So was very skeptical but um, have grown to love it as much as some people on this call. I, I think that in terms of what we're hearing, I think that one thing that Richard Edelman and we're having a weekly call globally um, about this with uh, Dr. Navarro, who is the top um, World Health Organization expert as a company is is the role of employers in in the trust. Um, I'm dealing, we've had a lot of brands on here that are very consumer. Um, I'm based in the DC office, I lead the branded content team, I build and operate multi-channel newsrooms for companies. Um, A lot of my clients are in the essential services space, so we are really struggling with dealing with employee reactions um, for companies that cannot work remotely. Um, I'm talking about people that make our fuels, that make our petrochemicals, um, that deliver all of the packages that we're all relying on. And so there is um, a real reticence to to rush into this because they are getting pushback from their employees saying we don't have masks, we're not healthcare workers, we don't have sanitizer because all of that is a priority for the people who are truly on the front lines, the true heroes. And if I hear hero again, I'm going to scream I'm just to be honest. Um, uh, We got to be very careful, I think, about that word going forward. Um, So I think there's a real... There's a real need for internal communications here, as we think about external, particularly companies that have employees that have to be exposed. Um, and so I'm doing that with a lot in the healthcare space, the e-commerce space, the energy space, um, which I advise on. Um, a lot of things. I think I know. I'm kind of the summary and like the cleanup hitter, for lack of a better word. Um, I think it's also you know I deal with. I, half of my team is media strategists for earned. Half of it is content creators for owned. So we have a lot of clients who really want to get into the earned space as well. And sometimes owned and social has been a means to that end. I think it's very hard to distinguish yourself right now. Everybody's making a mask. Everybody's making a scrub. Everybody's making hand, hand sanitizers. You'll know, you get Zara. You'll get Under Armour. Our client who was on the phone with yesterday. They're getting into the mask game. Um, and uh, fanny pack game. So, so, how do you distinguish yourself? And how do you do things that are authentic to the brand? You know, every company has a cares unit or a CSR unit, right? That's done this. That does donations. That does all this stuff. You have to, I think, do more than that to get attention um, right now, because everybody's hopping in on that. Um, earned is. A real hard slog right now. Thank you, I think it was Rob, as a former journalist. Um, my husband is basically, my husband's still a journalist. He's probably gonna get laid off. They're probably gonna sh- shutter military times because there are no events. 80 year old publication, by the way. There are no events, there are no advertising dollars. My Times-Picayune friends are now getting a 20% pay cut in the epicenter of this virus. A city that has more cases then California and Orleans Parish is a very small place, yet they just put their journalists on a 20% pay cut. So I think there is a real, real space for brands to tell their own story directly to their audiences. Love the woman from Twitter who talks about insights. You can't talk about this in a vacuum. My counsel to all my, my clients, and it always is this counsel is, you can't do anything in about vacuum. Context is everything. Know what people are talking about, what they're thinking and feeling. Yes, it's about health now, and it's about the economy now um, because of the jobless rate and other factors. But this is not a typical crisis. I, as a reporter, before I went to the PR marketing side, I covered Deepwater Horizon, I covered 9-11, I covered Hurricane Katrina and was there in New Orleans covering that story and eating out of taco trucks. Um, This is not going to go away. The dominoes are going to continue to fall. You look at school. I was a former teacher before I became a journalist. You are going to have educational gaps that last a generation. This story is going to talk about what the kids at this moment, why they're behind in reading, why they're not getting into college, why their SAT scores are down. So this story is going to change the whole operating order for brands. I really think it's not going to go away. It is going to be the mega context because the ripple effects. It's almost mind blowing when I think of it as a reporter and somebody who covered these kind of things for many years. What the ripple effects are? I mean, they're they're so long because so many people are affected and the whole globe is affected. This is not about a plane crashing into the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon. This is about a global pandemic. Um, Getting creative with creative, I love that. We have a lot of clients that don't know what to do. We were shooting a nine part video series for St. Jude. This is childhood cancer. We're not going anywhere. We can't do any patient stories. These kids have no immune systems. So, so we had to shift and do non-patient stories because we didn't want to interact with anybody that would be really sick if they got the virus. So how do you do video? How do you repurpose things? Um, Obviously with the move to TV and visual, um, how do you also make ready-made things if you're going the straight earned route for earned media who also isn't getting out there and shooting things? there's a lot of space for company to do b-roll. I'm seeing brand journalists write for outlets. There was an LA Sentinel piece um, from a hospital brand journalist that is going directly to earn because of the gaps at the local level. Um, and then lastly, you know, obviously I, I, I am totally biased in this as a former journalist and as the wife of a journalist, but, but this is a real opportunity for brands to take the moral high ground and to also help journalism and to partner with journalists, whether that is helping them get the story, get that access, delivering that story on a silver platter in an owned way, um, or whether that is doing sponsored content, native advertising with these brands at a time where they're really struggling. I think I, I, somebody said it better than I. I think it was Rob too. This is the biggest. I think the fallout for journalism is going to be huge, despite what the numbers that we're seeing. Um, and that's a lot of people just having more time to consume the content. Um, that there's going to be a lot of vast layoffs at journalists, journalism outlets. There's, they're not. They're reducing paywalls, so the subscriptions going up on this very topic are not really helping counteract
0: the ad and the event revenue so i think i think i think everybody said i hope but yeah thank you i appreciate um the summary i think the the last point you made um is so important that you know the call to action to brands to really uh galvanize around supporting journalism but also supporting content as a category um you know hiring journalists making sure that they're creating their own journalism and taking that relationship directly with their consumers and then finally creating paid content partnerships with these publications to support them during a time like this when we need them so much so thank you for that um rachel in in the effort uh, to kind of wrap things up in the last four minutes should we tease up next week's session real
2: quick yeah absolutely so this was session two session one it was i think very much an inspirational share out. We were all reacting to navigating this for the first time. Today, it was amazing to hear how strategic and tactical everyone's plans have become. It's only been seven days since the last time we all chatted. Next week, we're shaking things up. We are turning to five CEOs um, that Anda and I have spent so much time learning from in our careers. They include Mindy Grossman of WW, Gary Vaynerchuk of VaynerX, uh, Kristen Lankow of JPMorgan Chase, at Jeff Immelt, the former CEO of GE, and then at Hillary I- Coppola-McAdams, who was the president
0: of Salesforce and Urelic and a few other big tech companies.
2: So we're going to shake things up next week. It's really going to be a conversation about leadership during a time of crisis. Um, I know Anda and I are about to learn a whole lot over the next seven days as we prepare for it. Uh, we hope you all tune in. We only thought this was going to be a 90-minute session. I think every single time it, we just have to say it's two hours. We have stayed on the line this long. Uh, thank you for really being so engaged. I see that there's still a lot of open questions. We'll go through the Q&A and figure out the best ways to answer folks. Um, and the Notch team will be following up uh, via email over the next few days and all the things that we learned. And we would also love your feedback on this roundtable. So um, if you have 10
0: seconds, just go to Notch.com slash feedback um, and let us know what you thought and what we could be doing better. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this Notch and Micmac roundtable. We hope you enjoyed the episode and are staying safe and healthy. If you would like to learn more, please visit us at Notch.com slash COVID k-n-o-t-c-h slash c-o-v-i-d. If you have suggestions for future guests or topics, please let us know by emailing anda at prosandcontent.co. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.